as I get together with my D group, I'm using the previous week as the backdrop, and the first question I'm answering is, um, how did I encounter God this week? I'm, I'm going to tell that to you. I'm going to share that with you. That is pri primarily what we're talking about is really, what was your time like with God in his word? Where did you encounter the Lord? Many of us in the church are going through the same Bible, Bible reading plan, which is helpful because we're talking about the same scripture together, but not everybody does that. But I'm going to share with you what my time in the Word was like with God this week. Well, I was, you know, I've been reading through Hebrews, and the Lord has freshly impressed me um, with the superiority of Christ over, over every other system, and this is how that has fleshed out in my life. I'm telling you about how I've encountered God in His Word. I'm also telling you about how I have encountered God through his other means of grace to me, namely words, words that people might speak to me, that brothers and sisters might speak to me. That's God's means of grace to me as well. So that's the first thing we do. We talk about our time with the Lord. Where did we encounter God this week? I'm sharing that with you. You're free to ask me questions about it as I'm sharing it with you. But secondly, Isaiah realizes uh, who he's dealing with. And I said in verse 5, Woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So the second thing we do is repent and believe. We are honest about our sin in the presence of God. So part of our discipleship groups is I'm, I'm going to be open and, and honest with you about what my sin looked like this week. And about two to three disciples, if you're in a D group with me for two or three weeks, you're going to learn really quickly what my sinful tendencies are. The people in my discipleship group will be, if you were to ask them, and they shouldn't tell you because, again, we're confidential, but if you, if you did ask them, tell me about Joel, they'd be like, yeah, his sin tends toward anxiety and anger. Um, they, they know me well enough to tell you that. So I'm going to tell you what that was like for me this week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak about areas of, of weakness when I gave into sin. I'm also going to talk about uh, victories over sin I had this week, and I'm going to ask you to celebrate those with me. Um, but you are going to listen to me in D group. You're going to ask, you're going to ask me good questions about, about my anger and about uh, how, what, you know, how and why I give in to sin. And you're going to pray with me. And you're going to help me make a plan to fight against it. Um, so this is repent and believe. And third is plan and pray. And I'm giving, I'm giving the very high overview right now. Third is plan and pray. Plan and pray, you know, um, his lips are touched with the coal. He's cleansed, and Isaiah says, um, here I am, Lord, send me. So plan and pray is answering the question, who has God placed in my life with whom I am trying to be intentional for the sake of the gospel? So if, if you want to call that outreach or evangelism, you could. It could also be family members or, or you know, neighbors, coworkers, etc. But um, who does God want me to tell? Who does God want me to minister to this week? It's answering that question. And let me tell you why this is helpful. I have a good friend from India. His name is Akash, and he's been my friend since 2016. He is not a Christian, and he's heard the gospel from me probably 12 times. Um, and it's just funny, even knowing that I'm a Christian, when, when Jessica and I moved into our, our new house a couple of years ago, he gave, he <laughs> meaning very well, he gave us a gift it was a it was a straight up idol of an elephant with like six arms and i'm like thanks like yeah this is going to look great in the garbage like i what do you want me you know i'm not going to set this up in my house you know but he, anyway but he's a very good friend so if i'm in a discipleship group with you and i get to plan and pray 
who can I be intentional this week for the sake of the gospel? Who can I be intentional with? And I tell you, well, um, I'm having coffee with Akash this Friday. And I'm really going to be looking for an opportunity to steer the conversation toward the gospel. If I tell you that in our D group, and the, the next time we get together, what's the first question you're going to ask me? How did it go with Akash? And either I chickened out and I didn't do it, or I, or I have a, a real answer for you. Oh, this is how it went. This is how our conversation went. And here's why that is so helpful. All three of these areas, you know, whether it's, whether it's hear and obey, repent and believe, plan and pray, we don't naturally move toward any of those things. Um, it's hard to have a strong devotional life. It's good for us, but it's hard. It is hard to talk openly about our sin and really deal with it. It is hard to think consistently on a weekly basis, who can I impact with the gospel this week? It's difficult. It's kind of like when your steering wheel is out of alignment and you have to kind of constantly bring it back toward the center. That's what D groups do. I'm accountable to other men who are going to expect of me that I'm doing these things and me of them. And so when someone else has that expectation, it is motivating. And, and not just in a moralistic, legalistic way. It's because we've all agreed we, we need to be doing this. And I want to be pushed. I need to be prompted into being more consistent doing these things. So um, the, the way it looks is now, now our men and women, men's and women's groups do things differently just because our minds work differently, which is great. Usually in the men's group, we do it very systematically. So there's three guys meeting. The first guy will go and say, okay, um, hear and obey. This was my time in the Bible. Repent and believe. This is my sin for this week. Uh, plan and pray. Here's how that's going. And, I, and, any and then I always end with any questions, and I let people ask me questions. So like when I confess my anger and I open it up, any questions, and one of my brothers says, hey, man, you know, he's, what, what are... What are some common denominators? In other words, what's always in place before you get angry? I'm like, oh, that's a good question. And, and so I can start to be on the lookout for those things to actually work against them. Um, or if I, t if I speak to my wife poorly and someone says, hey, how does your, what does that do to your wife when you speak to her that way? That's a good question that I have to come to terms with and I have to answer. So after, and when I'm finished sharing these things, I open it up for questions. Guys, you know, let me have it. Uh, not, not like beat me to death, but like ask me good questions. Um, and then when I'm finished, the next guy will go. And then the next guy will go. And we'll pray, we'll pray for one another. And uh, we'll go about our week. Now, we also spend time communicating throughout the week, which is, which is really, really helpful. It's not like we only touch base on Sunday. It's so nice. I have, so now I have a group of three other guys. And they are my go-to guys. When I am facing temptation in the moment... Guys, I'm really struggling right now. Are any of you available to talk? And one of them can step outside at work or whatever and just give me a call and calm me down or speak the gospel to me or be helpful to me. I mean, these guys are largely my lifeline during the week. It's so helpful, you guys, just to have a, a small group, a cadre. We've agreed this is who we are and how we're going to help each other. So with that, that that's the brief overview. Let me Let me... Let me quickly go through this guide. Um, yeah, this is, this is the guide I have for discipleship group leaders. Um, 
and I'm just let me go through here and see what is helpful to kind of supplement. I've kind of told you um, exactly how we do it. Yeah, discipleship group three. It's ideally three people: men with men, women with women. They meet weekly whenever possible. Um, it can be hard. Yeah, we have our D groups get together, and, and for a first time meeting or when someone new joins, we have them take 10 to 15 minutes just to just to hear their story, just to hear their testimony and, and their and uh, how, how and when they came to Christ. Um, we want to get to know people so that we can speak intelligently into their lives and hear them well. So part of this, as you can see, is being a good listener. Oh, I don't have a thing highlighted. Is being a good listener, um, which we don't naturally do also. We want to steer the conversation back toward ourselves whenever we can. But this necessitates being a good listener. Um, and here's what the groups do. Here are the habits of a group. And again, I encourage you to go through this and, and read the entire thing um, that. I haven't read this in a while. A ooh, James K.A. Smith. I don't know who you are, but I like this. A liturgy is a love-shaping, habit-forming practice that aims our heart's desires in a certain direction. Okay. That's a little too wordy for me. I say a liturgy is what we do, but, um, but that's, that's, a good, that's a good definition, too. So the three habits that we do, and now we'll walk through these in just a little bit more detail, are based off of Isaiah 6. Like I said, um, he beheld the holiness and glory of God. That's our time. We're talking about scripture. We're going back into scripture. He was convicted of his own sin and cried out with repentance. And then um, he was commissioned and sent out after God atoned for his sin. So let me just read through this. Hear and obey our time in the word. Here, these four questions that, that are right here that you see me scrolling through, these four go-to questions are super helpful. Um, not just in a discipleship group setting, but honestly, just like as I'm reading my Bible day to day, the, the four questions that I ask are this. And I don't, know how, I don't know how long it'll take for you guys to see this pop up again or how that works, but I'm just going to tell you. When I'm reading scripture, and this is what I share with my brothers at D group, the questions I'm asking is, who is God? What has he done? Who are we? And what should we do? So any text I'm reading in the Bible, I'm asking, according to this text, who is God? In other words, I'm looking at his attributes, namely. The God presented in this text, what is he like? Um, second, what has he done? What is his actual activity? How has he entered into our arena and interacted with people, whether it be through salvation or judgment, etc.? What has this God done? Question three, okay, who, who are we in light of that? In other words, where do, where do people fit into this? Ooh. Okay, so who is God? Um, his character as it's communicated through a text. What has he done? What has his activity been that the text communicates? Who are we in light of that? And, it's all, and that one's typically the same. Okay, we're the ones that are the opposite of God. He's the creature, or he's the, he's the creator, we're the creature. He needs nothing, we need everything, et cetera, et cetera. What, yeah, James. Good question. Good question. Some, some D groups do open up their Bibles and actually read something together. Other D groups, like as I'm sharing in mine, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just retelling you what I have been reading during the week. It, it, just for like kind of like accountability's sake. Like, well, I'm in the Psalms right now, and this is what God is showing me in the Psalms. So, yeah, so different groups do it differently. Some of them open the Bible together and have like basically a brief Bible study together. Others are drawing on where they've been in the Bible all during the week, yeah. Yeah, I would say this, this would be separate from a Bible study. 
Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, they're not the same thing. So like if, like if you and I are in a D group together, and if I've been reading through Leviticus in my devotionals, while it's my time to share, to go through these three different steps, I'm, I'm just telling you, well, I've been in Leviticus this week, and this is what God has been showing me in, in Leviticus and how, and how that has cha- been impacting my life this week. You might be in Colossians in your devotions, and so that's what you're going to share from when it's your turn sort of thing. Um, but the point is that we're helping each other stay regular and consistent in God's word. great that's excellent that sounds awesome that sounds like it's that has a lot in common with what I'm sharing here um Yeah, um, so I, I guess I'd answer it this way. Discipleship groups can include a Bible study, but they are, they are not only a Bible study because, because we have added elements as well. Um, the, the, the part of dealing with sin and the part of planning for gospel witness, we, we add those in as well, if that makes sense. So, the, so a part of it is, is talking deeply about scripture, yes, but we just have some added elements too. If that makes sense, but it sounds—it sounds like there's a, a lot in common with what you're describing and and what I'm presenting here. Who are people in light of that? You know, um, who are we in light of the, in, in relation to this God? And then to ask uh, Francis Schaeffer's famous question: Okay, if all of that is true, how should we then live? That's the question we should be asking. If what we're reading in the Bible about God is true, and if what we're reading in the Bible about people relating to that God is true then how should we live in response? That's the question um, we should be asking anytime we're in the Bible. How do we then live? So, I'm, so just for example, consider Psalm 23. Um, and, just, and you don't even need to turn there, but let's just quickly, and even if it's at a 30,000 foot view, apply these four questions. Psalm 23, who is God? His attributes, who is he? He's shepherd. What has he done? He leads, he guides, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, he restores my soul, right? Leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He, he comforts, he is with us. He, he, he gives goodness and mercy all the days of my life. He welcomes me into, the, into his house forever, right? This is what God does, okay? Who are we in light of that? Who are, where are we in there? We're the sheep. Yeah, we're, and so th- flesh that out. We're the ones who need shepherding. We're the ones who need comfort. We're the ones who need a house to dwell in forever. We're the ones who wander astray and need a shepherd to bring us back. We, um, we're the ones who need protection in the house of our enemies, right? So if all of that's true, the fourth question, okay, how should we then live? Trust the shepherd. Trust the shepherd. That's excellent. Trust the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. Uh, tell others about the shepherd. Um, rest in his protection. 
He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's peace. That's calm. That's assurance. You understand? Hmm? Yeah. Yep, acknowledging his authority. Inviting other sheep in. So you you see how those four questions are excellent for like a basic kind of Bible study, really. And so, yeah, so that's, that's an example of how we might flesh that out and apply that. So I'm talking about that, and then I move on to repent and believe. And we already talked about that quite a bit. Um, yeah, we're basically, here's what scripture says, confess sins to one another, repent before God, um, turn back towards Jesus in faith, experience the ongoing forgiveness and cleansing of Jesus, observe the fruit of the Spirit being produced as a result. So these are all verses that lend themselves toward like, hey, we need to be dealing with our sin. And especially uh, the passage in James, I mean, uh, um, um, overtly commands us to confess our sins to one another. We, we should have an avenue to do that. And so we do. And again, um, I always tell people, ask me questions when I'm done. It's not, I, it, it does me no good, not really, if I sit there and tell you my sin and you have nothing to say. Well, well, let me actually tell you, remember the guy I told you, remember the shotgun wedding story? That guy, you would, you would love him. Oh, you would, you would love him. He's one of my closest friends, and he is a wild man. He comes from what's called the High Line. In Montana, there is a highway that runs across the very top of the state, just like 40 miles from Canada. It's called the High Line. It's Highway 2. Nothing good comes from the High Line. It is a wild uh, place full of, when I say cowboys, I mean legitimate ones. Um, this Sawyer is his name. He, uh, he rode wild bulls in rodeo all through high school to make money. Um, he died doing it. They brought him back in the ambulance. I mean, he's just, he'd pick a fight with a guy three times his size. He's just, he's just an animal. Um, when, he, when he joined a discipleship group, he joined a group with some very mild-mannered, clean-cut guys. And the first time it came for Sawyer to confess sin, <laughs> he's, he's talking about stuff that these guys just, and it's, I mean, it's normal for Sawyer, you know, because he's coming from a very interesting background. But he's confessing these sin, and these guys had, they didn't know what to say to him. And uh, he, they needed to learn. And so, and he really challenged them on that, like, you know, what, you guys, I, what, my sin, I, my, your sin is no better than mine. <laughs> you know, help me here. Ask me good questions. He really, they, you know, they almost felt embarrassed to really uh, mention it or, or bring anything up with him. And he told them, no, you need, you need to push me. You need to push me and help me here. They were just a little bit shocked uh, by the sorts of things that he was, he was sharing. Um, but it's just so important that after someone really, poor, really, they're vulnerable. When someone is vulnerable and opens up their life and actually tells you what's going on with them, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal for a lot of people. And you need to, you need to show them, prove to them that you care and that you love them, not by just saying, well, okay, thanks for sharing. Let's move on. It's like, no, stop. Linger there for a minute. Ask them good questions. Even if it's something you've never experienced, even if you've never punched your stepfather in the face, even if that's not the sin you're confessing. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Um, ask good questions. You know, hey man, what, what led up to that? Or what, what's going on in your heart when you chose to do that? You know, that sort of thing. D- 
don't, don't be so shocked by someone's sin that you don't press in and ask good questions. No, no, give them, the, give them dignity as a human being and ask them the questions they need to be asked. Their sin might look different from yours. That's okay. It's okay. The blood of Jesus covers all of it. So you need to press into them. And then plan and pray. Yeah, plan and pray like I, like I already described. Who do you want me to tell? Um, and don't feel the pressure. A lot of, it's like, oh, I need to come up with somebody new this week to, to tell the gospel to. A lot of times it's the same person or a couple of people week after week after week. And that's okay. I am still working on my relationship with my neighbor. Or I am still trying to speak the gospel to my mother or, or something like that. Um, don't feel like you need to reinvent the wheel every, every week. Um, you'll learn that discipleship is a long process. Um, we don't fix things over, well, we don't fix anything, the Spirit of God does, but we don't reach good conclusions and see change overnight. We don't see it even over the course of weeks. Sometimes it's months or years. So we need to be comfortable hearing the same stories from people week after week. It's okay. It's okay. It might seem monotonous. It's okay. This is where we need to be. We need to keep working on, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you a story. Well, oh, should I tell that story? I'm going to tell it when we get to outreach anyway. I'll repeat it then. It's worth repeating. Um, the first convert in our church, he came to the U.S. disillusioned with Islam, but called himself an atheist. And we met at an event, and when we both lo loved coffee, and he just really wanted to practice his English. So, hey, well, let's get coffee once a week. We got coffee once a week for two years. And I probably told him the gospel 20 times in over two years. And then one day he showed up for coffee and I stood up to greet him and he stopped me. He said, no, wait, before you say anything, I need you to know that everything you have said about Jesus and God and the Bible, I woke up today and I believe it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Absolutely. And, uh, it, but my discipleship group had to listen to me talk about every week for two years <laughs> for us to get there. And it's okay because they were praying for him with me. And prayer moves the hand of our mighty God according to his sovereign will. So I just, I, so anyway, I don't feel the pressure in discipleship to, oh, I need, I need a new person to evangelize this week. No, it might be the same. It might be my auntie. It might be my neighbor. It might be the same people every week. And that's okay. That's okay. It's answering the question. Again, I think I saved this for later, but I'll do it now anyway. Uh, you guys know the name Abraham Kuyper? Um, he he was a Dutch theologian um, and was the prime minister of the Netherlands at one point. Um, so he's a politician as well. He, he developed this concept uh, called sphere, spheres in like a circle, sphere sovereignty. Have any of you heard this? So basically... If I can, if I, if I am drawing a diagram of my life, oh, I can draw. You guys, this is so exciting. I'm going to draw a little, okay. Um, you know, here's a sphere. These are not perfect circles. Nobody can draw one, so don't judge me. Um, these are the different spheres of influence in my life, right? So, um, whoa. Okay, I guess we're drawing them up here now. So, this is my family. Um, this is my community, like my neighborhood. This is, you know, I don't know. My, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor, but let's say I wasn't. This is my work, like with, you know, 
non-believing people. These are the spheres, the areas where I have influence in life. And I should constantly be asking the question, who, who um, exists in my spheres, you know, with whom I am meant, I, I don't have a sphere that covers the entire world. I have a few spheres, my family and my community and my work. How can I make Jesus famous in my spheres? That, that's all that's asked of me. How can I make Jesus famous in these places? And so you think about where do, where do I have influence? I sit next to the same person on the bus every day, or um, I have coffee with my neighbor once a week, or I have a conversation with my unbelieving father every, every three days or something like that. Those are, God has, uh, what, what is it, Acts uh, 17, I think. God uh, sovereignly places us um, in the times and places where we are on purpose. Okay? You men who are Ethiopian, it's because God wants it that way. He wants you here for this point in history. He wants me in Bozeman, Montana right now, uh, you know, in this time in my life. That's not on accident. That's not just chance. That's, what, that's exactly what God wants. He has us where he wants us. And so we need to ask the question, okay, Lord, again, you are sovereign over all of this. Who have you placed in my spheres with whom I can impact? Who can I impact the gospel with in my sphere? We should constantly be asking ourselves that question. Constantly. Uh, the, the people who work in this building, who you interact with, the people in your church, um, all of these different arenas. That's, that's good and hard work that you need to be thinking through. Um, because it's not, it's not by mistake that these people are in your lives. God placed them there, right? And so you need to be thinking in those terms. And if, the, and if you're thinking, wow, I don't, I don't think I have any unbelievers in my life. What should you be doing? If, there are no, if you don't know any unbelievers, you need to go find some. You need to pray for them. Ask the Lord for opportunities and then go find some. Yeah. And now, now that's probably not as much of an issue here um, where I live and work. I know some people who are students at a Bible college and their entire life is at that Bible college. And they, I've had people tell me, well, I don't know any unbelievers. And I say, well, you, you need to get out more because you need, we need to be witnessing, and unbelievers can be a lot of fun, so you need to go meet some anyway, because so a lot of times we can be boring. Uh, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about getting out and doing something. But, yeah, we, we need them. We need them in our lives um, if we're going to be impactful for the gospel. So go find them. So that might mean creating a new sphere. It's like the, the influences I have, there aren't any unbelievers there. Okay, go, find, go, go take on another influence then. Go take on another sphere of influence and find some unbelievers. Um, that, that we may have strayed into my opinion there. That's okay. That's okay. You, you're welcome to disagree with me. Um, repent and believe. Yeah, we've been there, done that. Yep. Oh, there's my first series. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, guys, that's essentially why should I be in a discipleship group? We've talked about why discipleship matters. The goal is uh, to help us grow more into the image of Jesus through these various avenues here and obey, here and obey, repent and believe, plan and pray. Um, and then, yeah, there's just some kind of basic questions I have there at the end. Just making sure there's nothing, nothing else I want to cover there. Uh, be careful who you ask to lead one. Be careful who you ask to lead a discipleship group. We've made some mistakes by being too confident in somebody who ended up probably not being mature enough to lead one. So just be cautious there. 
Um, the goal of, one of the goals of the groups is to multiply. So you start with three men, get others to join. As soon as you reach six, great, two discipleship groups. And I encourage you to meet in public places as much as you can. We fill the coffee shops of Bozeman with our discipleship groups. It's awesome. Um, so people walking in are seeing our people with open Bibles. They're hearing them pray and, um, and all of these things. It's excellent. And they, so, if nothing, so they know that we're there, and it's led to some, some great relationships. So, yes, they do multiply. They do grow. Um, how should we start? That'll be a good thing for you all to think through as you think through your, uh, your projects because part of what you need to uh, uh, communicate is how to, how to implement something new. And I tell you what, with our church, it started, I think, with two discipleship groups. We started with two, and we just got them consistent and faithful, and then we, we just kept inviting people to join them until they grew to the point where they could multiply, and then multiply again, and then multiply again. Um, but before that, but you know, there, there also needs a clear communication to the church about what these groups are and, and why we're doing them. Let me, it's 445 right now, I just gave you a lot of information. Um, and again, this is not the end-all, be-all. This is a system that we have found has been very helpful for us. I would like to hear from you, not only your questions, but even your observations, because we always want to Im improve what we're doing. So if you think this is garbage, please tell me, but just use nicer words than that. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. In our context, we have found that the, that the best time frame for a discipleship group is about an hour and a half. Some groups go to about two hours. And when you have three or four people going through all three of these steps with conversation built in around it, when you get to five people, six people or more, you, you, it, just, it just takes so much time. They, that, that people just people just don't have that time. So what we have found is that keeping it uh, three to five people, it, it can, we can do it in an, in an hour and a half to two hours. Um, so so that's, that's part of why we've decided to keep the groups a little bit smaller um, so that they can act so that they can so that the, the, so that the dialogue can be quality. Um, where if you have six or seven people trying to, hey, we only have an hour and a half, it's going to be really hard to have meaningful conversation and, and press into everybody's week, if that makes sense. Um, so we've, we've kept it to smaller groups for that reason. In terms of how we have multiplied, what we do is when we make a discipleship group, we, we have the discipleship group leader identified already, and he's the one or she's the one who's going to keep things going, who has some general maturity, who knows, makes you know, um, uh, if, we're, if we're in a discipleship group, 
and you don't tell me about your sin this week, you just kind of skip it, as the discipleship group leader, I'm going to say, hey, what about your sin? I'm not going to let you off the hook. I'm going to, no, let's go back there and talk about your sin. And so we, ha- we choose somebody to lead who has the confidence to do that. And so what we do, whenever we start a group, we tell them from day one, we tell the leader, you need to be observing the others in your group and be thinking about who's the next best leader for wh- so that when it's time to multiply, you already have someone in mind. And um, you need to let, occasionally, you need to let that person lead this discipleship group so they get some experience so that by the time we're ready to multiply, we have that person ready to go. And, and we do that, um, you know, Mike, we do that more than just discipleship groups. We, we tell everybody who has an active role in the church, we tell everybody, you should always be thinking, who is my replacement? If I got hit by a truck tomorrow, who would step in and do my job? That, that goes from the preaching pastor on down to everybody. We should constantly be training people up to replace us. That's, that's how we multiply. Uh, the, I, I believe that's how churches are positioned to plant as well. So, so from day one in the discipleship group, the leader is already looking for who, who will be the next leader. Yeah. Yeah. I, what you're saying, I I feel a lot. Um, Let me just say this, and I've said this before, the most difficult thing in our church to keep going and to maintain is our discipleship groups. It is the most difficult thing. It is really good, and it's worth the hard work, but it takes so much effort because a group, I've had groups tell me, Oh, we really like each other. We don't want to. We don't want to split. And I say, you guys, you have to. This is about the gospel, and uh, we don't want to split, or we're comfortable with this group, um, or what, or like for example, in my own discipleship group, I have two guys who haven't even been there the last three weeks, so it's just been me and, and one other guy, and we're sitting here scratching our heads, saying, where are these guys? And on Sunday mornings, magically, they don't respond to our text messages, you know, and so uh, there are a lot, and we're gonna get. In fact, session, yeah, 13, session 13 will be common obstacles to discipleship. So we'll talk about that more. But um, I, I'm, I'm the first to admit, this is hard. Um, some people say, oh, I want to be in, in a D group with people who are in my same season of life. And, and, and others say, no, I'm single and I want to be with married people. And, and, it, and everybody wants a discipleship group made in their own image and, and made, to their, uh, made to their own desires. And it's just... I am constantly, I have, a, I have a whole document that shows who's in which group, and I'm constantly moving people around. Oh, my work schedule changed. I can't be in this one. Now I need, I need to find another one. And so anyway, that's, that's not a full answer to your question. I think we'll get there in session 13, but just know that it, it, it is really hard work. It is really hard. Would you say that there's like a, like a D pastor would like to be in a group with a 
Yes. Yes, I, I understand entirely. I would say what is non what is not negotiable, like we um where's the magic pen? These three things. Like if we ever if, if these three things are not happening, then we are missing the point of discipleship group. If we're not able to do that. Um so whatever we do, so say say there are seven guys. But they say, hey, but you know what? We have three, we have three hours. We, can, we have three hours together. Okay. Okay, maybe. Maybe they could stay together. Um, again, though, one, one of our goals of our discipleship groups is to, like, is to multiply. In other words, we view multiplication not as just like a necessary evil. Like, yeah, I know it's sad, but we need to. It's like, no, no, no. We, we want to joyfully look forward to multiplying because that means we'd rather have five groups meeting around town in public than four, for example. So, um, but that is hard. Let, let me even, uh, even bigger picture. Let me tell, I'll tell you guys this. I don't mind telling you this at all. Regarding church planting, which is multiplication on a big scale. We're talking about it as a church right now, a lot. And there's one person in our church who has experience leading a church plant. And he's me. So I have some capable guys who I'm raising up who I think I think could step in and take on all the leadership responsibilities at Emmaus Road Church to free me up to potentially lead the next church plant. But when I talk about that with, with certain people in the church, they get so nervous. And some of it's justified, but, but you planted the church and what would it be, what would it look like if you left? And, and they get very nervous. And um, I had one person say, oh, I don't think I'd come anymore if you weren't the lead pastor. And I just think, man, we need to have a conversation about your heart. I am not the church. And um, so, so I think that sometimes our thinking needs to be challenged in these things. Uh, it, it, so it depends on your mission statement, I guess. If multiplication is one of the goals of D groups, then yeah, they should be doing it. They should be doing it. Um, but wisdom does come into play. For example, that guy I mentioned, who's that really rough guy from northern Montana, I wouldn't just put him in any D group. <laughs> you know, he's got to be with people who can look him in the eye and hear really crazy things and, you know, not flinch. So um, I would not put him in with like a discipleship group of like 18 year old homeschoolers who just left mom and dad's house because they're gonna go home crying, you know, just, just from hearing about his life. So, so yeah, so wisdom dictates a lot of these things. If there's, if there's someone in the, who's coming to the church who maybe they're more immature in their faith, maybe, maybe there's a guy, you're in a D group with a guy, and he, for some reason, he trusts you, but he doesn't trust a lot of other guys. Well, we'd like to get him to the point where he's not insecure about that and where he is more open and does trust guys, but guess what, he's not there yet. So we're gonna leave him with you. Like wisdom would dictate that, right? 
So I, yeah, so wisdom comes to play in every single group, I think, which is another part of the hard work. I get emails all the time and text messages. I can't be in this group anymore. Where, where would you put me? I'm like, oh, you know, and I, it's just, it's hard. It's, it's nonstop, but, but we do it because we do believe it's worth it. We do believe it's worth it. But those, those are, those are, what you're saying is all valid. Those are, those are common uh, obstacles to, de to discipleship, which we'll talk about more. But thanks for bringing that up.